0: We will continue our studies in Isaiah. We finished up Isaiah 38 last week, which means we will we'll be doing 39 this week. I need to go back and make a comment on a comment that I made last week when we were looking at the beginning of Isaiah 38. Isaiah 38 starts out in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And then we read that Hezekiah goes to the Lord in prayer. And then God tells Isaiah, Go and tell Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, The God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, Surely I will add to your days fifteen years." So we see that the prophet Isaiah came to Hezekiah told him, you're going to die and you're going to die soon. And then he prays to the Lord. The Lord relents. And he adds 15 years to Hezekiah's life. Now, I made a statement. And I know I did because I I take these and I listen to it. I do that every week. Uh, just to try to help me out. I made the statement that God did not change His eternal decree, which is right. His eternal decree was that Isaiah would die on the day that Isaiah did die. And I said that because of prayer, God changes His mind. Now, I'm surprised that some of you guys didn't burn me at the stake for making that statement. <laughs> um, I wasn't here. <laughs> I wasn't either, <laughs> <laughs> but we still had Joshua and Chase in here. I so. just think you're talking metaphorically. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: you know, God. Bill, you know, before I forget, that is up on summer Audio. If you want to change that or
0: do something, do a different rendition of it. Well, that that's all right. Okay. No, I'm all right. just just so sure. this one goes <clears throat> in there too, where I hopefully correct my mistake. <laughs> um, the. Uh, Uh, Prayer changes things. I mean, Christians pray and circumstances will change, but it's not going to change God's mind. Um, It won't change God's decree and it won't change his mind because there is no change in God. Bob Inc says, this is a famous quote from Bob Inc. there is no change around about him. There is change in the relation of things to him, but there is no change in God himself. So even though we may not be able to understand this, God did not change his mind or his decree. But it did change things. Hezekiah's prayer did change history. That's about the best I can do. If anybody has anything they want to add to that, feel free to do
2: it. Did the word was the word in the scripture actually the word relent
0: that God relented? That's an anthropomorphism. You know, it also says God has hands, God has mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and things like that. From man's point of view, from what it would look like for us. Is that God relents, and I think the King James version says he repents, but then again, God is not a man that he should repent he so you have to be aware that when you're reading uh, about God, that he condescends to our level so that, to give us some kind of understanding of his actual character and works. <clears throat> What verse
1: it, does it say that God repents in Isaiah 38? Well, it's not there. It's in, in Genesis. Genesis 6, I oh, think. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: God yeah, repented that
1: he had made men. Yeah. Made yeah.
0: <clears throat> All right. So that brings us up to chapter 39. Remember, we're in a kind of a four-chapter interlude here. Um where we had basically prophecies for the first 35 verses of Isaiah, and then we get into four four chapters of history, basically about Hezekiah and what he did for Israel, and what he did—I mean for Judah—and what he did against Judah, which is what we'll see today. Uh, and then, beginning back in chapter 40, we go back to more prophecy. So we're in a four chapter historical interlude here, and we should finish that up today. <clears throat> okay, chapter thirty-nine. Thirty-nine is not a very long chapter. It's eight verses. And uh we will we will start with Laura today. If that's okay with you.
3: Sure.
0: Okay. Uh chapter thirty-nine. Read the whole chapter. Which is eight verses. Okay. excuse me if I must
3: pronounce things. Soon after this, Merodach Baladon, son of Baladon, King of Babylon, sent Hezekiah his best wishes as a gift. He had heard that Hezekiah had been very sick and that he had recovered. Hezekiah was delighted with Babylonian envoys and showed them everything in his treasure houses. The silver, the gold, the spices, and the aromatic oils. He also took them to see his armory and showed them everything in his royal treasures. There was nothing in his palace or kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked him, What did those men want? Where were they from? Hezekiah replied, They came from the distant land of Babylon. What did they see in your palace? asked Isaiah. They saw everything, Hezekiah replied. I showed them everything I owned, all my royal treasures. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Listen to this message from the Lord of Heaven's armies. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, This message you have given me from the Lord is good. For the king was thinking, At least there will be peace and security during my lifetime.
0: So we have the end of the story of Hezekiah here. Um, This chapter takes place after Hezekiah recovers from this illness. That is obvious because the uh, king of Babylon um, sent letters to him congratulating him on recovering. Okay, in this chapter we see Hezekiah, he is physically healthy again. He has survived the illness and recovered. However, we will see that his spiritual health is not so good in this chapter. So Hezekiah, like several other of the God's people, of God's leaders in the Old Covenant, started out good and they finished not so good. One other example would be Saul, King Saul. Okay. So we see here, not so good from Hezekiah. All right, in your notes there it says, the king of Babylon sent envoys... To Hezekiah. They carried with them nice letters and a present. And Hezekiah gladly welcomed them. And unbelievably, he doesn't suspect anything. But the ESV study Bible makes this statement. I believe it's a pretty good statement. It says, The man whose faith stood firm against an Assyrian Intimidation now melts in the face of Babylonian flattery. He is foolish not to look for ulterior motives and is unguarded in his openness to their visit. Hezekiah is losing his sense of God. So we see these people coming, well-wishers, from Babylon... Babylon always represents everything bad in Scripture. And Hezekiah doesn't have the wherewithal to say, to think about, you know. These people are probably here with bad motives. And he didn't even go to God in prayer. Verse 2 says, He was pleased with them and showed them all the, all the treasures, as we read later on. He showed them the whole wealth in the temple and all of Babylon best I can tell from reading this. And, you know, you're, you're our good friends. Let me show you how rich we are. You're you know, you're doing good in supporting me. I'm a, we, we're a rich country. <clears throat> okay, I want to read um, a couple of things that Ray Ortland has to say about this that I think is good insights. <clears throat> um, let's see, okay, get the right page here. He says, Hezekiah feels flattered, and flattery is hard to resist. His sense of self-importance is clouding his sense of God's importance. These envoys have come such a long way from such an important country to gush over me. He is blind to their true intent. Babylon, Babylon is no friend. Throughout the Bible, Babylon is a cipher of everything wrong with the world, Everything against God. But instead of asking himself what the Babylonians really want, Hezekiah opens up to them. And he makes a point of application here. He says, Some Christians live too long. <laughs> they die right on time really though, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. But I guess he's talking just spiritually. Some Christians live too long. It's better to die prematurely and honorably than to live long enough to betray the cause of God in our generation. Hezekiah would have been better off dying in chapter 38. His faith, his honor, his responsibility. Now they all lie in ruins at his feet and the disaster, the disaster is his own doing. One other little comment. There we are at the end of Isaiah chapter 1 through 39. The people of God have heard the truth, but they haven't received it into their hearts where it could make a difference, and now they're headed for exile. Every human agency is found wanting. Only God remains. Um, therefore, God alone will restore His people by His own grace and power, according to Isaiah 40 through 66. I should have read that comment at the end, but. We're coming to the end of just right before their exile here where they will have to depend totally upon God. Alright, so we see the foolishness of Hezekiah. And then back to your notes. Uh, Hezekiah shows them all the wealth of Judah. And then at verse 3, we see Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah said to him, What do these men say? And from where did they come to you? So Hezekiah said, They came to me from a far country and from Babylon. And then he says, Isaiah asked him, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah says, Virtually everything. So, immediately Isaiah confronted him in verse 3, But Hezekiah does not seem to be very concerned. And so what? It still hasn't dawned on him that these are probably spies. So in chapters verse six, rather, we see Isaiah tell him, "Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left," says the Lord. And so how Isaiah gives Hezekiah the bad news. It will all be gone in verse 6. It will all be gone. However, in verse 7 he says, it's not going to be in your lifetime. Because he says, they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So... Isaiah, you're not going to be affected, but captivity is coming down down the road here. And then Hezekiah is overjoyed. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. I don't care, Lord, if you're dishonored. I don't care if people go into captivity. At least I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. You will be dishonored, Lord God, and my people will go into captivity, but not on my watch.
1: And my line's basically ending. I'm sorry. What? My right? line is ending. My house is ending. Yes. Yeah. The yeah. sons are going to be carried off and turned into units. Yeah. No? Yeah. There's a pagan version of this uh, story. In one sense, the phrase "Beware of Greeks bearing gifts." Few, of you will know what that means. Beware of Greeks. Even when they bear gifts. Huh? Even when they bear gifts. You heard the Do Trojan War? Oh yeah. You want the Latin as one of the Latin phrases? I yeah. So. Um, This guy is a self-esteem disaster. I mean, he thinks so highly of himself. I got mine. Yeah. I don't care what happens.
0: It's amazing the difference in Hezekiah chapter 40 and Hezekiah chapter 36
2: and 37, isn't it? But God knew all this. He knew how Hezekiah was going to respond. And yet, he gave him those extra 15 years from a human perspective. And...
0: He let there be peace during his lifetime, despite the way Hezekiah thought and behaved. It doesn't seem fair, does it? Well, are there, are we none first of first us want God first? to be fair with us, we want to be
2: grace and just aren't there
3: parallels to current politics? <laughs>
0: yeah. So well, you know, Hezekiah didn't lose his salvation. But he certainly uh, left this world without having a good name. I guess
4: yeah, he certainly a...
0: apostatized. Verse eight is worse
1: than everything <laughs> that came before, from one to seven. Yeah. I mean, his the attitude there. Uh-huh.
2: Yes, y'all. So last week, didn't we? It, it, when, we, when Hezekiah was praying that he would be restored from his illness, the line on um, page 41 of the note says, he weeps bitterly knowing that there is no heir at the present time. So didn't the line of David continue through Hezekiah? Yeah. So, you know... I mean, I would think that actually we should be encouraged that God uses even weak and foolish men to accomplish His purposes and continue with His plan of salvation. Yeah.
3: Right?
0: Right. So the sons that He had were after He was sick. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: He didn't have any sons before He was sick. Right. But anyway, it's Bible tells us to take heed lest when you think you're standing, you fall. So none of us should be um, taking it easy. Hezekiah, Hezekiah is a good warning for all of us. These things were written for our instruction. And remember how the things David did. Remember the things Saul did. Remember Peter. Okay. Anything else on chapter on anything about the life of Hezekiah? Is there page forty-three? Um, let me see how these are. It's time to hand out the next one. Forty-three, yes, forty-three and forty-four. I can have a little bit of help.
1: is a kind of there uh, claiming to be a person of faith. That's yes, in 38. Please, O oh Lord, remember how I walked before you in faith and with the whole heart. And then he was told he was going to die and he wept. So, uh, I don't know, we don't have too many people today. We're trying to put ourselves in a place like that where people are told they're going to die. They're told, you know, your chances are bad and this kind of thing.
0: You know, you're very sick. But he, uh, I don't think he had the faith. If he did, he wouldn't be crying like he did. Did you give those out? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we talked about the reasons that he was crying. Uh, a lot of it was probably because of the normal human reaction. You know, woe is me, I'm going to die. Uh, at the time, he had no descendants. He
1: accomplished
0: what he thought he would be. Right, two big things. Number one, he thought, "Well, this country can't do without me because I'm a good king, which he was up to that time." And number two, when I die, that's the end of the seed line. I don't have anybody to succeed me on the throne.
4: a lot of people, well, maybe not you guys, but I think that sometimes you think that when things are going good and you're not having problems or that you're closer to God and when when trials come, you can be further away. Of course, it's the exact opposite, you know, where you really learn dependence on God, but I feel like that can be a natural tendency for Christians, especially if they're not like Maybe covenantal under theology, they think, oh, bad things are happening, you know, like, I, you know, I must be further away, or maybe, you know, what did I do, or, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and especially as you get older, um, you know, looking forward to, you know, aging and then dying, like, I know when my mother, before she died, she was, uh, she suffered a lot in the hospital, but not one moment and she, she always just wanted scripture. She always prayed. But there was never like, a, I feel bad for myself. There was like a longing of where I'm going, where I've seen it do the opposite. Because I thought that was interesting that you made a comment that that author was like, oh, he'd have been better off if he would have died in chapter 38, right? Because sometimes you feel that way. Like, you know, someone you think is a Christian, they've been a Christian, and then they the, the trials come, and they seem like they kind of fall away from their faith instead of getting stronger. So, I mean, i do not know. I've seen that. You know, especially, you know, you know, when more trials come, even as you, you know, get older. Yeah. I mean, everyone's going to go through it. Like, we all have the common, <laughs> I don't know. But I thought that, you know, when you're young, you kind of think, you know, maybe God loves me more than because I'm not having trials. And I think that is sometimes, you know, you hear the name it and claim it kind of theology if you come out of that, that, you know, well, God mustn't, you know, God's not blessing you financially, you know, must be something you're not, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so, I don't know. Yeah. Trials should drive us to the
0: Lord. Yes. Yeah. We should push us back toward Him mm-hmm. if we're easing away from Him for some reason. Yeah. I heard this guy one time that people told about the only reason you're going through what you're going through now is because God loves you. Mm-hmm. And he said, Well, I wish you didn't love me this much. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, God trials is how we grow. And that's what God uses for our growth. And we, you know, we we stumbled. We all stumble. Peter stumbled. Um, but the thing about it is, and you know, David stumbled. But the, the true Christian will persevere. The one who perseveres to the end will be saved. You know, it's a marathon. It's a long-distance race. And we're to run with perseverance. Well, oh, and all those people that be named, Peter, David,
3: even Hezekiah. when we're feeling like, whoa, I am such a
2: lousy Christian. Yeah. <laughs> those are the guys that make me think, but I can come back. <laughs> I'm in this race with other
0: people. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> we're all human. We're all sinners. <clears throat> and that's why we have to... And that's why the author of Hebrews tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because we're to spur one another on and encourage one another. Because the race is hard. The pace is fast and the race is long. That's what God said. And we need each other. All right, good discussion. Okay, now that we've finished beating up on Hezekiah, we will move on to the next section. Uh, this is a break, a major division in the book between Isaiah 39 and Isaiah 40. As your notes say, the first 35 chapters were prophecies to pre-exilic Judah. next four chapters were historical. And now we come back to the prophecies, which are at this time directed to the exiles of Judah, and actually exiles of uh, Israel also, both the northern and the southern kingdom are in exile. The southern kingdom went into exile in 586, I believe it was. All right. Alanda, will you read for us then the first two verses of Isaiah 40? Just two? Just two, yeah.
2: Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received them from the Lord's hand double for all her sins.
0: Alright, now, to set some context here, Isaiah, I mean, excuse me, the people of, God's people are in exile. Now, it's hard to see from our standpoint because we know what all happens. But these are people that they don't know. Right? They don't know what's going to happen to them. They're not in the land. They're in a foreign land with a bunch of cruel and vicious people. They had been taken captive, the last of them, in 586. And uh, so they've probably two questions. One, is the Lord willing to bring us back? And number two, is He able to bring us back? And we will explore both of these in Isaiah 40. Is God willing and is God able? Look back at Deuteronomy chapter 28. Verses 58 and 59, God through Moses says, If you do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, He will bring... So that's part of it. And then I'm going to skip down to uh, verse 64. Then the Lord will scatter you among all peoples, from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish in your soul. Uh, anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night, and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening. And in the evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning, because of the fear which terrifies your heart, and because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships, by the way of which I have said to you, you shall never see it again. And then you... Well, <clears throat> verse 67 is what I wanted to end at. So we see that the Lord had told them, If you are not faithful as My people You will go into exile and it will be a terrible time for you. So in a way it shouldn't have surprised them. All right. Now let's look on over at Psalm 137. He told them he was going to send them into exile if they were not faithful to the covenant. And we see in Psalm 137 that he does send them into exile. Psalm 137, beginning of the Psalm, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sit, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. So they're in Babylon. They're weeping. We hung our hearts upon the willows in the midst of it, for there those who carried us away captive asked of us a song, and those who plundered us requested mirth or merriment, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. Then they say, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? So they are in a foreign land. They are in exile. They are being treated very badly by the Babylonians. They are mocking God. They are mocking them. Sing us one of the Lord's songs. So we see God had promised exile and God had kept His promise concerning the exile. People, because they didn't believe God anyway, had no idea what was going to happen to them. So here in Isaiah 40, the people are in exile and Isaiah is prophesizing about 150 years into the future. Maybe up to 200 years in the future. But this is to a future generation that is going to be coming. That is going to be in Babylon. So he goes ahead from 39... From chapter 39 to ch- chapter 40 goes ahead about 150 to 200 years. One commentator states that he had pulled a Rip Van Winkle and had finally woken up after 150 years. Alright, now in verse 1 God is most likely addressing a heavenly court. And Let's see, Joshua. If you look up for us, First Kings twenty-two, verses nineteen through twenty-three, and Darlene, Daniel seven nine through ten. When you get there, Joshua, just go ahead and read that to us. through
1: twenty-three. Oh, that's correct. <coughs> And he said, hear thou therefore the words of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this matter or on this manner and another said on that matter. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord, and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said unto him, Wherewith? And he said, I will go forth, and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, Thou shalt persuade him, and prevail also. Go forth and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these that prophets, and the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee.
0: We're just looking at that just to see that this is a heavenly court. And another example would be now in um, Daniel 7, verses 9 through 10.
2: I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow. And the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books
0: were opened. Another example there of a heavenly court. So we see that's probably the same here where God says, if you're reading the King James or the ASV, which distinguishes between the singular and plural second person, says, comfort ye, yes, comfort ye, my people. So it's in the plural. Bill. Yes.
1: I'm not sure I understand how the connection between the verses that were just read in Isaiah 41-2 through two, and how that tells us that this is in heavenly
0: realm. Um, just to show that there is a heavenly court, and most commentators say that this has taken place. These words in a heavenly court, such as was in Daniel nine and uh, first the passage you read in First Kings. Yeah, I, I those understand. are just examples of heavenly courts. I know, but I don't understand how they got that out of
1: the text that we're looking at. Um, that's what
0: I mean. That's about the only only way you can look at it and make any sense out of it. Who, who is being addressed? Who's comforting who? Yeah. The, uh, God is seated on His throne and He's saying to people to the, uh, <clears throat> to the court that's assembled around Him, it's time for my people to be comforted. Anybody else has another alternate explanation? Go ahead. That
2: was what I was about to ask. Is there any other...
0: I didn't see anything that was plausible at all that anybody said except for that.
2: And and when we talk about the heavenly courts, are we talking about the angels? Are we talking about those who have
0: already died and are with the Lord? Alright, if we look back at... um, We're going to have to close up here, but if we look back at what you just read in um, Ezekiel, I mean, excuse me, Daniel chapter nine. Is that nine? Seven, Seven nine through ten. <clears throat> um, verse nine says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the ancient of days was seated. His garment was white as snow and his hair, his head was like pure will. His throne was a fiery flame. Um, a fiery, sp- you should, what? thousands tens of thousands tens of thousands yeah and then the court was seated the books wrote "Is this a heavenly host
2: heavenly uh, host so these are Lord people who faith. actually could be sent to minister to god's people yeah yeah could saying be comfort it sounds like he's given directions like go and comfort my people
0: yeah that's one i
2: so they must be angelic yeah ministers yeah
0: The angels generally take care of God's creation. And He's telling them now to comfort His people. And I don't see any other way of interpreting that verse if you have another way. And it is a definitely a heavenly host. Thousands ministered to Him 10,000 times. 10,000 stood before Him and the court was seated. Okay, and actually, an angel was sent to Daniel at that time to interpret things and to give him comfort. Okay, uh, we will need to close it there. Uh, I'll ask Bud if you'll close us up in prayer. I hear the
1: Thank you so much for this.